0: Hello and welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name is Violet Luca, and I'm the digital producer. While Alan Partridge and Malcolm Tucker are names that might not ring a bell for American audiences, they are among the strongest and funniest characters to have graced the Beeb. Both were co-created by Glasgow-born writer-director Armando Iannucci, who has found success stateside with Veep, and whose first feature was another political satire, In the Loop. His new film, The Death of Stalin, details the power struggles and often absurd events following the Soviet leader's demise in 1953. The Death of Stalin premiered in September at the Toronto Film Festival, where I spoke with Iannucci. Here's our conversation. Hello and welcome to the Film Comet podcast. My name is Violet Luca. I'm the digital producer, and today I'm joined by
1: Armando Unucci.
0: And you're here in Toronto with your film, The Death of Stalin. I am, which is very funny, and uh, it's based on a graphic novel. Yes, that sort of that is based on actual events, and it compresses the timeline of what was happening in uh, the Soviet Union around that time, but when you were making the film when you were writing it how much did you refer back to the actual history versus the graphic novel?
1: Um, and, uh, it's a combination of I wanted to be true to the tone of the graphic novel mm-hmm. but um, as you said we compress the timeline because in the graphic novel everything leaps forward by 3 months as soon as Stalin is dead and then there's a series of meetings and, and uh, which is fine to read in a sort of linear narrative but in a in a movie that didn't feel like we were reaching a climax so I I sort of concertina that all those events the the sort of coup as it were mm-hmm. to take place during the funeral right. to give it a sense of you know click ticking clock and building up to a climax however on top of that i did a lot of research and we went to moscow just to get the look of all the buildings the interiors see where the events actually happened and get a feel for that but also to research that time and start feeding we found new uh absurd things like we discovered that stalin's son Vasily, who was heavily promoted in the air force way beyond his ability actually was responsible for the um army national ice hockey team and against everyone's advice told them to fly to a championship in Hungary in bad weather and the plane crashed and he lost the entire team but he tried to cover it up because he didn't want his father to find out and he put together another team from just friends of friends who were dreadful to watch (laughs) Um, so we put that in the film. Of course. Yeah. So there's an element of both, really.
0: Mm-hmm. The graphic novel and the film starts yeah. with this scene of um, this concert. And Stalin calls up and wants a recording. And, uh, of course, hilarious antics ensue because it's the Soviet Union. Yeah. I know that you're a big fan of classical music. Yes. And if nothing else for the um, Ibiza uncovered uh <laughs> Bit in the Arnamando I knew show which I watched before this That's, okay. I love that that counts as research um and this is you know you worked with Christopher Willis on this uh who also helps scores Veep yes what sort of direction did you give like do you how do how does that relationship well, work
1: for that I mean Christopher's background is as a classical uh composer really in terms of his training he's classically trained and so I Told him to go back and look at the Soviet music at the time: Shostakovich, Prokofiev, uh, Weinberg, and, and a whole uh, ream of, of composers then. And so what he was able to do was come up with a sound that sounded of that era, and yet was our film score, and and was in rhythm to the shots, and and also. I spoke to him early on in the process because very often it, the music is the last thing that is discussed and the last thing that gets written and put in. I, I wanted Christopher to see the whole script in advance and I talked to him about certain transitions that were going to be there and how I wanted the music to help us get from uh, something that might be dramatic to something that was comic. And uh, without the music, it would have been a big, difficult junction yeah and actually he knew that the music would actually tell the story of how we get from that to that so there was that and then and he wrote this wonderful score which uh, i think is an important character within the film the music and we recorded out and in uh, galaxy studios in belgium with an 85 piece orchestra and i remember in between takes they were practicing away, and the engineer turned and said to me, ah, they're practicing. That means they really like it. Because <laughs> they pride themselves yes. normally on being able to play, to sight read and just go and play it. But if they're practicing, it's because they want to get it absolutely right for oh. the next take.
0: You mentioned this just now, the, that what was really fascinating to me is that this film captures the terror of terror that was just existing during um, Stalin's uh Rain, I guess. It feels weird to say rain, but I guess we can say that. And um but also the absurdity of that terror, like what that terror produces and I guess was that something that attracted you to the project or like just
1: No, it's fundamental to it because that terror and you know, I'm not trying to belittle it by saying it leads to comedy, but it's the it's a way of expressing the absurdity of it is through comedy because what happened was everyone was scared of saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing. And so, for example, when Stalin had a stroke and fell over, he had told his guards he didn't want to be disturbed. So they didn't disturb him. So he just lay there in his office all day. When eventually the Politburo arrived, normally you'd think, get a doctor. But they said, well, hang on, Stalin had a lot of doctors arrested because he was convinced they were trying to poison him. So should we get a doctor? You know, having these absurd conversations. Well, well this body is lying there clearly in some terrible state and the thing you mentioned at the beginning of the concert you know that stalin rings up and asks for a recording and they realize they're not recording it so they have to round the orchestra up again and get the audience back in again and insist that it's played and the conductor faints and knocks himself <laughs> out so they then have to find a conductor and this is all true and i yes. think if you can find true things like that that are absurd then you know it belongs to the movie because that's the kind of the the comic world we're trying to portray.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of I mean we live in a new sort of era of of an absurd leader with Trump and um, you know, just how inarticulate and I mean he's he's a moron but also he's doing very dangerous things. And like, the moment chose this movie, let's say, instead of the movie choosing the moment. Well,
1: no, because we wrote it two years ago and we shot it last summer, so it was pre-Trump. And yet when I started showing it in private screenings earlier this year, people were saying, but this is contemporary, this is now. Because there are conversations in the film about controlling information, uh, changing facts. Mm -hmm. Barry barrier talks about we're in a new narrative now. Don't stick to the old narrative. Just as Trump was talking about fake news and his mm-hmm. uh, deputy was talking about alternative facts, you know, the fact in the movie, in the closing credits, we see this Soviet thing of people disappearing from photographs and mm-hmm. doctoring of photographs. We were making that title sequence at the same time as. Trump spoke, to his press secretary was saying, no, there were 3 million people <laughs> at the inauguration, even though the photographs could clearly show that yes. there weren't, you know, yeah. it's extraordinary.
0: It's funny because Trump keeps bragging about these imaginary people showing up at, this, at his inauguration. And yet, you know, on the other side, you have people within the Democratic Party, people on the left wanting to refight the 2016 primary. And it's like, yeah. by comparison, Trump is like, really current if you yeah 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 yeah. and it's i mean even like kellyanne conway like that feels like a million years ago but it was not that long ago
1: at all and it's important also you know if there is a kind of message from the film and i didn't set out to to have a message but talking to people who've watched it what they're saying is it reminds you that actually democracy is uh fragile just because we call ourselves a democracy doesn't mean to say it will be like that forever, no. especially if we don't do anything, if we stay at home and don't participate. And you just have to change the dynamic of it ever so slightly. And then you end up with, in the case of the film, you end up with terror. Or in the case of the US at the moment, you end up with, well, I, I would, I don't know what you would describe it, but something frightening.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you had mentioned Laurenti Beria, who's mm-hmm. played by the wonderful Simon Russell Beale. And Part of what makes it so funny is that, you know, you have more serious actors in a comedy Mm -hmm. sort of like um, the rise and rise of Michael Rimmer. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about getting those performances and like just because it has such a relentless sense of timing?
1: Right. I mean, what we do, I tend to cast really early in the process while we're still writing. And that allows me to talk to the actor about that role and, and they can feed in their own perspective on it it also means we can start writing with their voice in mind so when for example Jeffrey Tambo was Malenkov and we knew that we could write Malenkov to to what we felt would give Jeffrey something really funny to play with and so Simon he actually uh, memorized all the drafts of the, wow. <laughs> of the script so that you know if we were on set and we decided to change something or I asked him to throw something else and he could just like uses power of recall to use an old speech from Berriers early wow. yeah, as a way to chuck stuff in. Um and and we talked about, you know, with Simon I remember talking about not making him nasty, evil, Henry Blofeld type right. supervillain. <laughs> he he had a ridiculously vulgar sense of humor, Barrier. He genuinely did, you see it in the film, he genuinely did think putting a tomato in someone's pocket and <laughs> and, and, and crushing it was really funny you know. <laughs> so there was a sort of boorishness about him, a vulgarity about him. And and I had read that he was very, he was a good employer. You know, he always asked his guards who were busy torturing people how their wives were doing. and And yet he had a very sinister taste for kind of underage girls and stuff like that. So we fed all this in. And the idea was to make him a three-dimensional But who you kind of feel a little bit sorry for as the film progresses and others turn on him. Yeah. You know, that's deliberate because he's he's flesh and blood. Right. Uh, No matter how nasty he's been, you know, it's, it's in the end, every life is a life.
0: Yeah. That's something that always is very disturbing to me. Like how the Soviet Union is sort of used as a shorthand for absolute evil and political corruption and you know that happened with the tea party when obama came into office and now it's like people are talking like i mean not that vladimir putin is a wonderful person without any issues but they're talking as if the soviet union never ended it and this like it's just this continuation of evil and corruption it's like well and
1: it's more to do with human it's groupthink, really exactly yeah. you know it's there's a sort of cultishness about it and groupthink. and you know you can detect it there's an element of it in russia but you know the i mean trump is cult leader mm-hmm. you know you only get anywhere with trump if you praise him yes if you if you happen to get more publicity than him then you're out <laughs> you know it's it's that he will only believe the facts that support his beliefs he won't believe any facts he sees that don't support his beliefs, you mm-hmm. know. And and it's really fascinating to watch lots of Republicans who spoke out about Trump last year, but the moment he becomes president, stay quiet. Of you course, know? they vote and, along party lines. You know, the the most dangerous thing is silence. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what that's the lesson from uh, the rise of Hitler is the is the silence that people maintained. You know, and 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 also. It's telling you that, you know, democracy is this precious thing. So, you know, by saying I'm not going to participate, I'm not going to vote. Well, actually, you know, that has consequences.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Speaking of groupthink, I think what is really great about this film is that, and perhaps it's in the graphic novel, I haven't read it, unfortunately, is that it really captures, like, the frustration of communist procedure and like it's like we have to reach an agreement and yes. how that's during the meeting where molotov is talking and it seems like he's going one way yeah, and then yeah he yeah. goes the other and then uh, everyone ultimately I, raises their hand at the I, end I, i'm like, so
1: pleased with that moment that was specially created for michael pale in that oh, moment <laughs> great, right.
0: I lo- yeah he's so good in <laughs> yeah, this yeah yeah, yeah yeah
1: because it's the absurdity of trying to follow the rules yes you know and if you then try and adhere to the rules rigidly you kinda of get nowhere because mm-hmm. rules are there to guide you. Uh if you can't allow human behavior yeah. to, to help guide you as well, then, you know, you just become a machine, you know. And that's what that was all about.
0: And seeing the you know, there are these uh brief moments where you see what they actually had in the rules. Like there will be a three day period of yes. mourning yes. and there will be this and there will be that and and you see the rule and then how the consequences of that and trying to follow that and it's so fascinating
1: but it's an old you know 1984 was all about uh rules and having to adhere to the rules and and not stepping from the rules until the rules were then completely changed and you then had to do the opposite of what you've been told to do
0: right thinking of people who are constitutional literalists or purists Mm -hmm. sort of like being like well the founding fathers said this and it's like Yeah, but uh, I I know. What are the founding
1: fathers' views on the internet?
0: Right. Yeah. What do they? Yeah. What do they think (laughs) about net neutrality and shit like that? Yeah. I'm sure they had. They would if they were uh, magically brought back to life. They would have uh, like the right opinion about that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. What what are the founding fathers' views on genetically modified food and (laughs) (laughs) fossil fuels? What did they say about fossil fuels? Mm Yes. Yes.
0: (laughs) Um, In. you know, this is sort of in line with what your career, I guess, from the, over the past 15 years with um, In the Loop and um, Veep and all this mm. stuff. Are you, do you, after this, do you envision yourself doing something that's maybe not dealing with politics?
1: Well, in fact, that's the case because the next thing, I'm doing a movie next year on, uh, which is an adaptation of David Copperfield by Charles Dickens. And that's really about human, that's about psychology. It's about a boy growing up to become a writer who can tell fantastic stories and plunder his memories for great stories, but isn't very good at relating yeah. to people <laughs> in any in any good way. Yes. You know, he, he chooses the wrong best friend and he chooses the wrong person to marry, and you know, and and actually beginning to realise that he's not quite as fantastic and amazing as 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 he thought he was.
0: And is that going to be more? dramatic or comedy or it's, just g- of-
1: it's full of comedy absolutely yeah. full of and great I mean, characters mr mccobber and U- uriah heap and so on are fantastic characters but it's very human it's a very human story and and that's what's drawn me to it and and again you just the opportunity to get a great cast together and see a, a great ensemble
0: going back to death of stalin where did you shoot it because there are these very um there's a lot of great soviet architecture oh, yes. in this
1: well we shot I went out to Moscow and got a real good sense of the look and um, the design. We found mostly locations in and around London to do a lot of our interiors with a lot of um, set dressing and, and and redesigning interiors and so on. And then a little bit of time in Kiev to get um, old 1950s Moscow and then Moscow itself to get the Kremlin and to get all these buildings and so on, yeah.
0: And um, I guess my last question will be over the past like 10 years, there's sort of been this explosion of shows like Tim and Eric or review or Nathan for you that are on American television on cable that have a lot of the aesthetic or are very similar to the sorts of things that were on like BBC three Uh late night in the nineties that have like that weird anarchic but also very biting and satirical uh, feel of things like, yeah. um, you know, the Armando Iannucci show or um, TV awful.
1: Um, oh yes, I remember. Yeah, yes, yeah, 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 yeah.
0: So I mean, is that exciting to you? That like, I that... think
1: the form is broken down in the last ten years, and comedy used to be certainly in the, in the UK either a sitcom or a sort of broken comedy sketch format. That was it. But now, on mainstream television, we're doing all sorts of You know, mockumentary or animation, but also beyond mainstream television, you've got the fact that it doesn't have to be 30 minutes anymore. It can be 12 minutes, it can be 45, you know, it can be whatever. And I find that fascinating. I think it's a really good golden moment, really, for comedy.
0: Would you ever go back to that form?
1: Well, the sketch show or the yeah, yeah. or the sitcom. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm going to do something more for HBO soon, and that will be a thirty-minute narrative thing. So I suppose that's about as traditional as it gets. But I enjoy that. I, I mean, I enjoy I enjoy the kind of um, the challenge of coming up with a group of characters that can then have a story that unfolds over over ten weeks. And then it might take you to somewhere that you have to then come back the following year to see whether you know, I, I find that enjoyable. And with cinema, what I enjoy about that is the opposite is the fact you can have a beginning, middle, and an end yes. in ninety minutes. You can create a whole world and you're absorbed in it along with other people in the room for just a finite amount of time. You can tell a whole story.
0: Yeah. That also is what is super appealing to um cinema for me. Yeah. Like it's just like, oh yeah, I don't have to like commit fifteen hours I to know. this thing. I just like be super immersed, yes. and then it's over and I go back to my life and it's I think great. The, wor-
1: the worst point when you, if you binge watch something is if you get to like the 15th episode and then you realize that the writers don't really know how <laughs> this is going to They're now kind of making it up as they go along Mm -hmm. that's the point where i think okay i'm gonna stop now
0: yeah yes (laughs) you're like oh wait oh no we only got one life and i wasted i've already i've
1: already spent 15 hours on this and now i now realize that you don't know what's going to (laughs) happen to these people right
0: contact negotiations will dictate what happens next but yeah thank you so much pleasure this was wonderful pleasure that was fun You've been listening to the Film Comment podcast, produced by Violet Luca and Nicholas Rapold, and edited by Violet Luca. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has featured in-depth reviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomet.com slash subscribe to purchase a digital or print subscription to the magazine. Or check out our app, available on Android and iOS, at filmcomet.com slash app. Film Comment, at the heart of film culture for over 50 years.